minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson Web Studio, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Bobby Blanco and Paul Mancano, thanks for tuning in on Facebook or Twitter. And special guest, MassonSports.com Nationals writer Mark Zuckerman. Mark, how's your offseason going? Hi, guys. How's it hey, going? Thanks nice for popping to in. see you. Yeah, Good thing, I, I happen mean, to be in the neighborhood. Thought I'd uh, yeah, stop in and stop talk it. to you guys. Cool. Fortunately, there's no news going on right now. I was going to say, I don't know what we're going to discuss because, yeah. I mean, Paul and I are probably just going to sit up here and just talk about the divisional playoffs from the football because there's no sure. baseball news to yeah. talk about. Con- so. the, uh, BCS, not the BCS. What's it called now? College, College football, football playoff yeah. too. Yeah. Last night, yeah. yeah, a lot of football talk. There's no baseball news to discuss, so we're just going to do that. But since you're here, I guess we can touch on some baseball, right. some baseball news. Um, obviously, if you're listening to the Mass and All Access podcast, which is brought to you by Marymount University, visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today um, on Apple, um, excuse me, Spotify, Apple Podcast. Google Podcast, or SoundCloud. Be sure to rate, subscribe. And if you're watching live, comment along, because, of course, we're going to be discussing the big news from yesterday. Rob Manford lays down the hammer on the Houston Astros and the sign-stealing scandal that obviously broke last October during the World Series um, and between the, the Washington Nationals and the Houston Astros. And, Mark, you wrote this morning that with all the punishments that was laid down yesterday and everything that happened yesterday in Houston and from M- the MLB commissioner's office, you said that this was more of a reason to celebrate that the Nationals ended up winning the 2019 World Series. Yeah, and I think, obviously, Nationals fans are thrilled and still reason to be thrilled that the Nats won the World Series. But honestly, I think if you're a baseball fan at all and you care about the integrity of the game, yeah. you should be absolutely thankful and grateful that the Nationals won this World Series. Can you imagine? Look, there have been no allegations that the Astros did anything in this series. Right. Um, we don't know if there was anything to even be concerned about. But if they had won, if Howie Kendrick's ball went just a little bit foul, yeah, they end up losing that game. They lose the series in seven, and then all this stuff comes out after the fact, and it's clear that their 2017 title, there was something fishy going on, they're punished for it, may even be tainted. And then that there may have been something going on with the Red Sox in 2018, which we're still waiting to find out about. Yep. Can you imagine how you would feel right now about the 2019 World Series. So I feel for Dodger fans and for that organization right now. And all I can say is thank God the Nationals won that World Series because that would add a whole nother layer to this story, which is already um, a huge story in the baseball and sports world. Yeah, it is interesting that, like you said, there weren't allegations toward this past World Series. It didn't mean that they weren't doing anything, but there weren't allegations definite. And this investigation was just into the 2017 club and the ongoing investigation into the Red Sox 2018 club. Um, and they're end up World Series. But I remember, you know, uh, us being in Houston after the, the the Nationals won the World Series, everyone was saying, like, cheat all you want. We still kicked your butt. And, and <laughs> like, and I think you're right. It's good for the sport that – because now we could possibly have two World Series back-to-back that are tainted, you know, have, yeah. an, have an asterisk. It, it would be mi- so much worse if now we have three straight champions uh, with who basically cheated their way to a championship, and the Nationals prevented that by, by winning. And, and think about how they did it also, because the whole thing was that the Astros benefited from their games at home. Right, yeah. In 2017, they went 8-1 in home games that postseason, only 3-6 and six on the road, which kind of adds some credence to this whole thing that uh, maybe they were benefiting from whatever they were doing. Well, what just happened in this last World Series? 4-0, and oh, yeah. the Nationals go on the road, so really refuting any possibility of anything. But even though the story came out after the fact, and even though 
like we said, there's been no actual allegation about this year with them. There were whispers about the Astros. It had been for a while. I was on the field before the day before game one in Houston on the workout day. I'm talking with somebody who works for the team. And it came up, the topic came up. They were already concerned about it, knowing the reputation the Astros had. Clearly, they were already making some plans to try to account for it. They were kind of on alert, looking around the ballpark for anything that looked a little bit fishy. So um, they knew that this was a possibility. It was something they wanted to watch for. The fact that they did take some steps, and, and maybe it mattered, maybe it didn't. Um, but this didn't come out of the blue. This wasn't like something that, that nobody had ever even considered the possibility of. Yeah, well, obviously with the news coming down yesterday of the suspensions and then firings, you as somebody who has covered baseball for a while... I'm curious to get careful, your... Careful here. <laughs> Long I did, I did not cover the Black Sox. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm curious to get your yeah. sp- perspective on it, however, <laughs> in terms of the length of suspension, the uh, impending suspension that Alex Cora for the Red Sox is going to face, and just kind of where this puts baseball as a whole, considering this is a, a major scandal that had major repercussions. Yeah, look, this is right up there with anything that baseball's ever dealt with. The punishments are... are Close to unprecedented. There have been a few suspensions like that, but hardly any in history. Um, and I think that Rob Manfred might have wanted to do more if he could have. <laughs> uh, the one-year suspensions on the GM and the manager, he sort of boxed himself into a corner a couple years ago when he said, when he put out the edict about sign, electronic sign stealing and saying that he would be holding managers and GMs accountable for that. So even though those two may not really have been at the fulcrum of it, they certainly could have done things to stop it along the way, but they didn't start the the process but i think he felt like he's already laid it out that those are the people who are going to be punished Mm -hmm. or if it happens i think he would have loved to go after some players but the collective bargaining agreement the fact that players have a union could appeal these things and it's also difficult which players are involved how many of them what if they play for somebody else now so i get all that but i'm sure he feels like there were some players that he brought in to punish five million dollar fine is the maximum allowable he could not go any higher than that i'm sure he wouldn't have minded going a little beyond that. Um, no, this is a huge thing, and I think it was critically important that the punishments come down and hopefully are done so in a way that will discourage right. anybody else from ever doing this again. This goes to the heart of what professional sports are all about, the integrity of the game. That's why in my column this morning, I linked it to the Black Sox and Pete Rose and even steroids. They're all a little different how they went down, and, and you can argue which is more important or not, but they all boil down to the same basic premise. They threatened the integrity of the game. They yeah. made us believe that what we were watching out there was not real, not legitimate. If the, sports doesn't have that, there's no reason to have sports. It's now professional wrestling. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's all like right. Act. So right. I think it was really important that, that they did come down hard, that they will still come down hard on, on the Red Sox and Cora. They have to make sure that this is uh, eradicated from the game. Yeah, and like you said, I, I think the word the term that we heard all throughout the day yesterday was unprecedented. I mean, this is a turning point in the sports history where – uh, the, these punishments laid down by Rob Manfred have to, like you said, deter other teams from ever doing this again because the integrity is at stake. Um, which of these punishments, the two suspensions, obviously, I also don't feel like, I know when the punishments were announced, many people were calling up Rob Manfred for not firing Lunau and Hinge, but I don't, right. he doesn't have that power, no, I don't think. No, he, and could, I, he could permanently ban them, kind of like Right, Rose, so you can yeah. only ban them or right. suspend them. You can't right. like actually fire them. And, and kudos to Jim Crane, owner of the Astros, for 
handling that within a timely matter, within mm-hmm. the hour of it coming down of, of relieving both of them of their duties. But the forfeitures of draft picks, first and second round this year and next year, um, the $5 million fine, like you said, it was the maximum allowed. Um, I think people thought that was low, but it is as high as he could have right. gone. Um, then obviously um, uh, Talbum was a different case and it, mm-hmm. it, for a different scenario. Which of these uh, penalties do you think is like the, the harshest and, and is really going to deter uh, other clubs from from, from doing, doing it, it yeah, again. it's it's a good question. It's probably the the year long suspensions and then followed by the firings. I would think yeah. because if you are somebody in a position, and this comes up again, are you saying okay, I'm willing to take that chance? It right. could mean that I lose pay for a year, yeah. be out of the game for a year, and also be fired. And we don't know if these guys are going to be hired again or when or in what capacity. Mm-hmm. So I mean, th- this is going to be tarnishing their reputations for a long time. I do think the draft picks are significant. I do yeah. too. Now. To the players in the dugout, right. they don't care about that at all. No. Um, to the front office people who obviously have a, a role in all this, I do think that is very significant. Um, so I, I think that's a big part of it. The other, the other thing that I think they would have liked to see them do, and maybe there's still a way to somehow orchestrate this, you know, in a way, do they get off easy? These guys get fired. Now the Astros get to go hire a new GM and a new manager. And they can go pick whoever the best available candidate is. And somebody, I apologize, I don't remember who offered it up yesterday, but somebody suggested this one. They should be required to hire from within their own organization and not allowed to go get somebody that works for another team because now you're penalizing that other team of losing a maybe future manager. This basically created two appealing jobs. Very appealing jobs. This is still a really good team. It's going to contend for a World Series. And if if you've got a really up-and-coming good bench coach or up-and-coming assistant GM and you're only a month away from spring training, and all of a sudden the Astros have the right to hire them away from you yeah, and, and get somebody good, That's a really good point. in the process also, that maybe they should be required to do it within. I saw somebody else uh, suggested, I think it's actually a great suggestion, if the Astros are really determined to put this behind them, hire Dusty Baker to be I your saw manager. I too, yeah. I mean, how, how fitting and, and, and you know, would that be? And what would, what would that scene be like in West Palm? Oh my God. <laughs> it's already going to be a shared complex. Yeah. 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 Well, you bring up the, the fact that it might hurt other teams if they hire guys away. The other side of the coin I'm thinking though, is that, you know, what team would want to be in this situation where it's January 14th and all of a sudden yeah. they've, they have a team that still has a championship caliber roster still have as expectations to win their division, still has an extremely high ceiling, and all of a sudden they need to find a manager and a GM, <laughs> GM yeah. um, to fill those spots. It's a tough thing for a team like that to overcome. That being said, you know, they, they still have a little bit of time before pitchers and catchers report. They still have you know, the whole season kind of to figure it out. But how much do you think this sets back the Astros? Do you think they still have the potential to be a championship caliber team in 2020? Yeah, I think they probably do because of the talent on the roster. Now, they lost Garrett Cole and Will Harris and some others, so it's not like this is the exact same team returning intact. But it's still a really good team that almost anybody else in baseball would happily take that roster. And yes, the manager matters, but I think we've learned over the years they only matter up to an extent. As long as you have somebody competent in that job who gets along with the players and everything, that it yeah. can probably work. I think the, the GM situation is fascinating. And the other part of all this, I think we still need to see, does anybody else lose their jobs? Does Jim Crane fire anyone else in the organization? Because there's clearly a lot of other people that were involved in all this. So that, that, that could be damaging. But if it's just talking about a manager and a GM, if they make the right hires, I do think that's a team that still has a chance to win big this year. And just back real quick to the to, – uh, deterring people from doing it in the future, mm-hmm. it's going to boil down to the players. 
can you deter the players? Was are these punishments enough? If the players themselves are not really punished, yeah. If we never really know names of who was doing what outside of what we've heard, Cora uh, and Beltran, then I think it could be difficult. You know, I could see how players might on their own try to start up things like this in the yep. future. Well, also, I think Jim Crane also kind of set a precedent himself by firing both of them because now yeah. we already know Alex Cora has been named in this investigation. He's still being investigated with the Red Sox. Assuming that he is found guilty in that case as well, there's already a precedent for him to be fired, and that's then two managers and a GM of high-value organizations yeah. being let go because of this. I think that deters because before the firing, like I said, I don't think – Manfred had the power to fire uh, a GM and a manager from a team, so he could only suspend them or right. place them um, in the ineligible list. But, you know, I'm thinking, all right, I get suspended for a year. I still have a World Series ring. Um, yeah, I don't get paid for a season, but I'll be back next year. And I, I've, I've been a major league manager GM for a handful of seasons. Now I'm fine financially. It's, people were saying it's kind of like a vacation right. until they got fired. <laughs> right, And right. you still keep your your title as a World Series manager, GM, whatever. Yeah. Um, but then I think the firing then by Jim Crane sets the new precedent of like, okay, we as an organization, baseball teams, not just baseball, not just MLB office, but baseball teams as individual organizations should not stand for this either yeah. Yeah. And, and fire people who are found guilty. Yeah, you would hope so. And th- one thing that just occurred to me, there aren't a whole lot of comparable situations to this across sports, but think about the New Orleans Saints and Sean yeah. Payton. He lost a job for a year, right? Yeah. He came back. Do we talk about that anymore? No. No, he still thought of as a very good coach, a very good team that makes the playoffs every year. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I do think the firing of them does have much more lasting implications yeah. than if they'd just been suspended for a year. And I think this is only really the first part of Rob Manfred addressing the issue because I think he still has to write and impose rules yeah. to stop this. You know, yeah. it, it's not just the the penalty that's going to stop it. I think he has is probably making an internal determination that we have to have some more oversight over this. You know, we we have some responsibility for this as well. It's not just we write the rules and we punish if you break them. But we also have to make sure that these rules are being followed at an individual level. Right. And um, I think he started to take some, some of those steps a few years ago when the first allegations, it was about Apple Watches, if you remember, with yeah. the Red Sox and the Yankees. They do now have uh, a, a league employee in the video room so the team employees can't just you know communicate yeah. through what they're seeing. But there has to be more. I think it's also fair to question MLB's video challenge system. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you, you, we should have seen this coming in a way. <laughs> yeah, you're going to put that kind of equipment in there, give them access to everything. Um, are we surprised? Yeah, when when something you know like this happens. So, I, I've never been a fan of the the challenge aspect of it all. Anyways, um, to me, I've always thought it should be independent. Done, but give me a fifth umpire, put him up in the press box with his own system up there. If he sees a play that looks like it's a close call and he thinks it needs to be reviewed, he can buzz down to the crew chief and say, "Hey, I'm, I'm going to look at this." He reviews it. He lets them know. Take the teams out of it. Take the challenge part of it out of it. I think it would help with the delays yeah. that we deal with, waiting while the bench coach is on the phone, waiting to decide are we going to challenge yes or no. Um, but there are certainly things that are going to have to be done because the system is still set up to encourage teams to do right. things that are not on the up and up. And baseball is a unique sport in that there's a role for that kind of technology to play in cheating. Like you can't, yeah. there's, there's no sign stealing in football or basketball Not to the same extent. Well, because yeah. you, everything's yeah. in the head, in yeah, the, helmet, right. the headset. So right. it's just direct communication as opposed to having to relay something. Right. You know, college was a little different, but they all, those 
change all the time and everything. So, but yeah, it's, this is like a direct response to the sport, the way the sport is played, and then having all this technology information available to these teams on an individual level. So yeah, I think that's a very good, interesting point. I also think that to the Astros specifically, going back to like which of these are are very um, sustainable punishments. The, you mentioned the draft picks. Someone mentioned also yesterday, and again, I forget which writer it was, national writer, but the Astros are in an interesting situation where, you know, they, like you said, they lost Garrett Cole, they lost Will Harris, they have some expiring contracts on this roster, mm-hmm. and then they also have arbitration cases to deal with. By taking away four top two draft picks in the next two seasons, we could be looking at a completely different Astros team within the next three years that have been set really far back. Sure, these are the guys that you would, in, in a perfect scenario, would help supplement or replace the, the stars that you lose along the way mm-hmm. and allow you to remain a championship caliber team three or four years from now. We may not really know the effect this has for a few more years, right. but no, I do think the draft picks are significant. Um, and, and certainly within the front offices that would stand out and say, Hey, we got to make sure we don't do this. So we don't suffer that punishment. I just don't think that a player in a dugout is concerned about that. No, not at all. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think so either. It has no effect on them. So Mark, you also, cover the Washington National Park. Oh, yes. Well. Yeah. yes. <laughs> and you were at uh, Nationals Park, as we were for the weekend for Winterfest. Uh, talked to a ton of players this weekend. Uh, got a lot of perspective. I think before we get into kind of the nitty-gritty of, you know, I think there were some interesting no- nuggets about Max Scherzer, his recovery, about Trey Turner, his recovery. Um, I think just the roster construction, because we have not had a chance yet to kind mm-hmm. of break down the insane flurry of moves that they've made in the past couple weeks. Josh Donaldson is still out there, but it appears that the Nationals, for the most part, are pretty set with the infield that they have. Mike Rizzo said that, uh, you know, he doesn't view third base as a whole. He thinks it's a position of strength. He thinks that he's got enough guys in-house to be able to fill the infield. Last week on the podcast, Bobby and I were going through the infield and saying, where are these guys going to fit? Because it's, <laughs> it's just such a weird conglomeration of guys between Starlin Castro who can play second, he can play third, he can play short. You have Asdrubal Cabrera who can play all over the infield. Howie Kendrick is back and, of course, still waiting for Ryan Zimmerman. Where is the Nationals infield at this point? It's exactly what you just said. It's completely wide open, and it would seem to me that if they don't make any more moves, aside from maybe resigning Ryan Zimmerman, which we still expect to happen, that we may be looking at a scenario where outside of Trey Turner at shortstop, there is no regular everyday infielder and they've got like five guys at these three positions and they pick on a daily basis what makes sense matchup wise who's feeling good who's hot who's not it's unconventional it's not necessarily the way that you would expect a team of this caliber world series champion to go about it but i think it can work it it, if you can't replace anthony rendon with one guy and that's really hard to do right then i think this isn't a bad way to try to go about addressing it these are all quality players they got it's, we're not talking about scrubs. You know, these are good, solid major leaguers who bring a lot to the table. On any, no one of them alone is going to put up Rendon numbers, but when you combine them all and you put them in favorable matchups, it maybe gets you sort of closer to there. You're maybe hoping that Trey Turner has a fully healthy season. Maybe he steps up a little bit. What he's done in the past, maybe Victor Robles takes a step up, does more than he's done in the past. A better bullpen. And when you put that all together at the end, maybe you're winning games a little differently a little more low scoring. I don't know if it's going to work, (laughs) of course. But given what they have to work with here, I give them credit for trying to do something here that's not saying, hey, we're just going to spend whatever it takes to replace Anthony Rendon because we don't know how that would work out either. And it still leaves the door open. Do I think they're going to sign Donaldson? No. But 
that's an ownership decision at this point because yeah. they would go over the luxury tax if they did. If Mark Lerner went up to Mike Rizzo tomorrow and said, hey, I'm willing to pay $125 million for Donaldson, Rizzo would say, okay, let's do it. Yeah. He's not going to say, no, we have too many infielders. Yeah. <laughs> no, he'll take Josh Donaldson. So, um, I, again, I don't believe that's going to happen, but that to me is an ownership decision. And in the interim, what Mike Rizzo has done is he said, okay, rather than wait around to see what happens there, I'm going to try to address these other needs the best I can with what we have available. So it's sort of like last year with Harper, not waiting him out. Again, not the exact same scenario. It worked out, obviously, last year. We'll see if it works out this year. It's not going to be as great of a lineup, of course. You're, not, you're going to be missing that threat in the middle of it. But the piecemeal method, you know, I think could work, could still be successful. Is it sustainable? Because it feels like he's – I think they're – Right, they're pieced together to be competitive this season, 2020. But right. how are they going to look down the line, 2021, 2022? Is it a sustainable method, or are they going to have to maybe, you know, are counting on Carter Keeboom to be the guy yeah. for the next handful of years, or are they going to have to go sign Donaldson for four years? Um, I think they're fine for 2020, but are they good beyond that? Yeah, I think that's the question, and I, I should have mentioned Keeboom, like you just said. I think that's a key to it all because – at some point along the way, they expect him to be a part of this, whatever position it's at. I don't know if they expect him to be Rendon, but they expect him to be a good quality, big-time, big-league player. Maybe it's this year. Maybe it's at some point during the season. Maybe it's next year. Um, but I think he would have to be a part of that or somebody else that they go acquire along the way. Yeah, I don't think over the next three or four years they can be a World Series contender piecing together a lineup, piecing right. together an infield like that. So you would hope that Key Boom at some point uh, steps up and does it. Now, the other, the other possibility is, you know, we talk about how often they've gone into a season with bullpen questions and they get to July and they say, okay, who's the best reliever out there? Let's go get him to help fix this problem. They haven't really done that position player wise right. over the years. Maybe they get to July, they're in it, but they clearly need more production. And there is a Chris Bryant or some other hitter we haven't thought of. Nolan Arenado. Or, yeah. <laughs> Somebody even on a short term, a rental player. Yeah for a year that they could go get. Maybe that is a way that they go about doing it, and it's a, a, sort of the opposite tack they've taken uh, in the past. But, again, I give them credit. They're trying to be creative with this, given what they have to work with, and not just being uh, constrained to, well, we, there's only one big-name free agent third baseman out there, so we better go pay whatever it takes to get him. Yeah. Um, one more interesting thing about the infield, too, is, of course, the Ryan Zimmerman still sitting out there. Yeah. Um, I threw out the theory last week that, he was going to be the last piece of the puzzle because they were going to see how close they could get to, of course, it's just a theory, could get to the competitive balance tax and then see whatever's left we'll over and, give that and then yeah. hand that to Ryan Zimmerman. <laughs> I thought it was such a funny and interesting response where Mike Rizzo was asked last week about, or over the weekend about uh, Ryan Zimmerman. He said, yeah, we met in my office for a weekend. We love him. <laughs> right. <laughs> just And? and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I agree. I don't think your theory is totally off. I think it's possible, maybe not quite that exact. They yeah, may not yeah. have said, okay, we're $4.3 million under the luxury <laughs> tax. Okay, Ryan Zimmerman, you get yeah. $4.3 million. They also have to account for whatever things over the course of a season you might need to add True. along the way. But I do think both sides understood from the beginning there are a bunch of needs they need to address. We're not worried about him signing anywhere else. Let's take care of everything we need to, and then we'll finally get around to him and figure out something that makes sense. I still feel like that's going to happen. Yeah. Whatever the number is, I mean, Zim, in some ways to his credit, in some ways to his detriment, 
has lost all leverage <laughs> in the situation. If he wants to play in 2020, he's going to take whatever the Nationals offer yeah, him. Yeah, and yeah. he's conveyed that, that, that he's fine with that. That's great. Good for him for being willing to do that. I don't think we're going to get to the end of this and the Nats are going to say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. We don't need you. Yeah. Um, so unless they came in with an offer that was so lowball, that was insulting to him, and he said, I can't for my own pride take this, yeah. I think it'll get done here probably sooner rather than later. Yeah. All right, you mentioned briefly the uh, the bullpen. Uh, obviously, Adam Will Harris, they officially announced Daniel Hudson this morning, the two-year contract to go along with Sean Doolittle. Uh, are we entering this 2020 season with the best bullpen the Nationals have had to start a season in a while? Yeah, I'm not going that far. I know some people have looked at that because I think we forget how quickly we forget. Only two years ago, they went into it with Doolittle, Madsen, and Kinsler, Kinsler. who were great in 2017, the second half of that year. Thought that was going to be a huge strength in 2018. It turned out it wasn't a big strength for them. So with relievers, you always have to be careful. You never know really what you're going to get year to year. On paper, it looks like there's potential to be a real strength there. Doolittle, Hudson, Harris... If Strickland is back to what he's ever been before, if Rainey, what we saw at the end of the year, was legit, swear we rag on the guy some, but I mean, he, he is a potentially a quality big reliever who at times is dominant. Yeah, that looks like it could be great. Every one of those guys has a question mark, though. Yeah. There's no sure thing. Maybe Will Harris is the closest to a sure thing in that group. And he's 35, and with relievers, you just never know. Doolittle hasn't stayed healthy the last two years. Hudson, last year was the outlier for him. Maybe that's who he is now. That would be great. But I think some of the hesitation to giving him a multi-year deal was that they didn't know because his track record was not that. Mm-hmm. So it could fall apart very easily. And so that's why I'm not quite willing to go so far as to say this is going to be a great bullpen or even the best that they've had. There's potential there, which is a better situation than they've had in the past. But to me, that's still the biggest question mark on the team. And there are, of course, still questions to be answered around the league and you know Josh Donaldson to be uh, signed by some team. You look at all of the crazy additions that the Nationals have made. You look at the fact that they had a grueling October. So many guys, you know, Trey Turner had to have surgery on his finger. Mm-hmm. Insane, the 3D graft that they had. I did yeah. not know that was possible. <laughs> um, uh, and what they can find yeah. at that. You, know? you wanted to take it apart, look at those broken, and then go in and fix it. Yeah, yeah. it's insane. Um, and, of course, Max Scherzer, uh, he said he's, he's fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm good 100%. <laughs> um, but still, you know, you have a lot of veteran guys that just went through a, an extra long season. Where do you think the Nationals are going to start 2020 in terms of the, the NL East race? Are they going to, do you think at this point they're going to experience some kind of World Series hangover? They're going to be the second or third best team? Or do you think this team is a team that is ready to run it back? I think if things stand as they do now and there's no more additions or subtractions, not just for them, but for the other teams, mm-hmm. because Donaldson could go back to the Braves and that could change that dynamic yeah. as well. But if they stand as they do, I think you're looking at, a again, very competitive race between the Nationals and the Braves, pretty clearly the two teams at the top. I know it didn't wind up as close as that during the season, but there were moments you thought it could, and I think if a little healthier, the Nats might be closer. You know, I think that might play out a little differently this time around, especially if the bullpen is halfway decent and not blowing games the way they did. They would have been right in it. Yeah. So I think those two are clearly at the top, and I think you could make the argument for either one. I think the Phillies have made moves to get better, but they're still looking up. The Mets, or the Mets, who knows? <laughs> I mean, really, who knows what Mets. the Mets are going to be? Yeah, uh, It doesn't feel like they are on the same class as everyone else, but it's, again, sort of like one of those, maybe it all comes together and, <laughs> it, and it works like it did the one year they made the World Series. That's still possible, but it feels like that's a long shot for that to happen. And, mm-hmm. then, yep. and then there's the Marlins. So um, 
I would say it's up for grabs between the Braves and the Nats at the moment, but the caveat is Donaldson could end up either place, more likely Atlanta. That could change the dynamic, and there's still other moves that could be made. Well, Mark, there's about a month left until Pitcher's Catcher's Report. What is on your personal calendar until you head down to West Palm Beach? I've already booked flights and uh, hotels. hotels. We just did that last week, so (laughs) it's kind of crazy to think – I, I don't know about you guys. I don't feel ready for it. Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, not at all. And, and I don't mean this in a complaining any kind of way, but I'm finally, for the first time in my career, seeing what a difference that extra full month in October oh, yeah. yes. makes. I get what the World Series hangover is, because mm-hmm. if I'm feeling it, I can only imagine what the players and everyone else are feeling. I know they've expressed the same thing, that how quickly this offseason has, has oh, come yeah. about. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot to do. There's still some news, obviously, to cover. Um, there's some, uh, arbitration days over though. Yes. Thank God. No, and, and yes, and no cases, no hearings. Yeah. So that's good. Um, yeah, I, I, to me, I think the interesting things at this point now are, um, again, let's say Zimmerman's the only other addition really to make. Mm-hmm. What are the, what's the lineup going to look like? I mean, there's a yeah, lot of different yeah. ways that Davey Martinez can go with that, uh, including who's leading off, who's hitting third. I think we know the rotation yep. is good. The bullpen's going to have those question marks, but it's going to be fascinating just it's going to be such a different dynamic this year. Is it going to be all everybody just happy to be there and excited because they're the defending champs or are they going to set a tone of like, Hey, it does not matter what happened last year. We don't ever want to talk about that again. We're totally focused on this now. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm kind of fascinated to see what that's like. It's new territory for everybody, ourselves included. We've never covered a team coming off a championship. And so I'm really curious how this goes. Part of me says they absolutely should be in position to try to do it again. And part of me says, the odds of everything coming together the way they did, yeah. it can't. And just emotionally and mentally, you've got to believe that it, they don't have that same motivation anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And 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 that's understandable. It's human to be that way. Yeah. 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 Real quick, because you mentioned the rotation, Ross, Fetty, Voth entering spring training. Does anyone have a leg up for that fifth spot, or is they coming on on even ground? Probably close to even ground. I would say maybe Joe Ross a slight leg up because a couple of reasons here. Of those three, Fetty's the only one with options. He right. has one year of options left, and he's, it's actually surprises some people. He has a fourth year of options that's not conventional for most players. So that puts him behind the eight ball. He's going to really have to show something to mm-hmm. earn the spot because the other two guys have to make the big league roster or else be exposed to waivers. So that would suggest that one of them is the number five starter and one of them is in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. We've seen Joe Ross in the bullpen. It did not go well. We saw him down the stretch in the rotation. It went much, much better. Yep. So I would think that all things being equal, he might have a little leg up for that, and maybe they try it. Austin Voth in the bullpen and Fetty is the odd man out that goes to uh, to the minors, but they'll open the competition. And if it's clear at the end of spring training, one is outpitched the others. I don't think they'll be afraid to put that guy in the spot. But if I had to rank him coming into it, I'd say probably Ross one, Voth two, Fetty three. And twenty six man helps with that. They can yes. carry that. So how do you think they'll address that? I, I was asked this a couple of weeks ago. How do well, the Nationals address that extra man. Is it going to be a bullpen? Or, I know it depends on roster construction and sure. who, like, who you have available to add there, but I do think, you think they'll lean towards bullpen arm or uh, extra bench player? I, I think the way to look at it is this. I think they will carry eight relievers all the time. Now, okay. sometimes they did that on a 25-man roster, so you could say, well, maybe that means an extra bench bat. Yeah. But the conventional way was to go seven relievers, six bench players. Gotcha. Um, I think they will carry that eighth reliever no matter what. And so then it's now, uh, does that open then a spot for both? Or do you say, well, if they're already carrying eight relievers in the past, 
that maybe that does allow. And maybe that's how this whole infield scenario yeah. in part works because they're going to need all these spots plus a backup outfielder or backup catcher. Yeah, and it's like they have these super bench options because whoever yeah. doesn't start that day, great option off the bench. And yeah, and that'll be a fascinating thing too, how Davey Martinez plays that uh, in pinch hitting situations, double switches, all kinds of things that yeah. he could do. Well, Mark, we don't want to take. We can ask you questions all day long. We don't want to keep you forever. At Mark Zuckerman on Twitter, yeah, <laughs> and be sure to follow along. He'll be talking about all this stuff on the blog on MassInSports.com, Nationals Pastime. At Mark Zuckerman on Twitter as well, not Zuckerberg. Thank you. Give him a follow, and so uh, all season long, about a week or excuse me, a month, not a week. Good lord, no. a month until spring training. <laughs> so he'll have all those stories, and of course, following the Donaldson situation with the free agency, and plenty of questions still to be answered before we head down to West Palm Beach. Uh, Paul is at Paul Mankind. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass and All Access podcast, which of course can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, excuse me, and SoundCloud or watching on the Facebook and Twitter accounts for Mass and Nationals. For Mark, Paul, I'm Bobby. We'll catch you guys later.